Hello, welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. You may have listened to our last podcast. It was on the first portion of Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is a difficult psalm. I ask you, if you haven't listened to the first part of Psalm 68, to listen to that before you seek to listen to this. But this is simply part two, and we'll pick up where we left off with the previous podcast. Remember, Psalm 68, we stressed, emphasizes that God is a mighty warrior who defeats all of his foes. We see this in the first two verses of Psalm 68. We see this in verse 6, where he causes the rebellious to dwell in a parched land. He defeats and scatters kings and causes them to flee in verses 12 through 14. And he leads triumphantly, leads a group of captives into captivity in Psalm 68 in verse 18. God is a mighty warrior who defeats his foes. But God in Psalm 68 is also viewed as a gracious and compassionate father. Verses 5 and 6 are strong with this picture that God is a father of the fatherless. God is a protector of the widows. Verse 10 emphasizes this as God in his goodness provides for the needy. God is a gracious father who does good to his children. And God is a holy and awesome God before whom all the world shakes. We see that in 68 verse 8 as Sinai is described. And God's presence at Mount Sinai is described in a similar way in verses 15 and 16. We, we tried to cover briefly, certainly not answering all the questions that could be asked, but we tried to cover briefly last time up to verse 20. And let us start with verse 21. Surely God will shatter the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who goes on in his guilty deeds. The Lord said, I will bring back. From Bashan, I will bring back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may shatter in blood, the tongue of your dogs may have its portion from your enemies. This is the most gruesome picture in the Psalms. At least in Psalm 68, there are some in the other Psalms that come close to this. But God is pictured as shattering the head of his enemies in verse 21. God does this because of man's sin and man's guilt in verse 21. It is not simply arbitrary, but it is the result of man's sins. As men and women who have sinned, and who have fallen short. We have trouble grasping the holiness of God. We have trouble developing true moral indignation at wrong. Those of us who have sin have no conception of how bad sin really is, how it offends a holy God, 
and things that are punishments for sin that seem extreme to us are not really so because sin is a horrible evil against God. Surely God will shatter the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who goes on in his guilty deeds. Verse 23 pictures the Lord as shattering them and the the tongue of the dogs licking up their blood. That reminds us of Jezebel and how Elijah prophesied that dogs would lick up her blood in 1 Kings 21 in verse 19. That indeed happened in 2 Kings 9 verses 35 through 37. In 1 Kings 22 and verse 38, the Bible talks about the dogs licking up Ahab's blood. Verse 22 is difficult in this context because it says, I will bring back from Bashan. Actually, there's no object of the verb there in the Hebrew. I will bring back. Is God bringing captives back to freedom and blessing? Or is God bringing back the guilty for punishment? Is the text stressing there's no way to escape? The wrath of God for the wicked. I think in light of the fact that verse 21 refers to the punishment of sinners and verse 23 does, that verse 22 may well have that idea. In verses 24 through 27, there is a parade after God's victory, a procession to God's temple celebrating his victory. In verse 24, they have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went on, and the musicians after them, in the midst of the maidens beating tambourines. Bless God in the congregations, even the Lord, you who are the foundation of Israel." or the fountain of Israel, excuse me. Verse 27, there is Benjamin, the youngest, ruling them, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. So God in procession, God, the king, the victorious and triumphant warrior is going to his temple. There are women singing and celebrating, magic, uh, maidens be- beating their tambourines, singers singing their songs, all praising God. The tribes are present in verse 27. In verse 28, your God has commanded your strength. Show yourself strong, O God, who have acted on our behalf. The God who provides security to his people by defeating their foes and by being a father of the fatherless. This God is asked to show his strength once again. Show his strength. Show his power. Your God has commanded your strength. Show yourself wrong, O God, who have acted on our behalf. Rebuke the beast in the reeds, the herd of the bulls with the calves of the people, trampling underfoot the pieces of silver. He has scattered the peoples who delight in war. Well, what does verse 30 mean? Rebuke the beast in the reeds. When we think in the Bible of reeds, we tend to think 
of the land of Egypt. And there's reason to associate them with reeds. We see that connection made in 2 Kings 18, 21, in Isaiah 36, in verse 3, in Ezekiel 29, in verse 6. All of these passages speak of the king of Egypt as a reed that pierces a person's hand, does great damage to a person's hand. All who lean on it, all who rely upon it, will be hurt by that process. Sometimes Egypt is pictured as a sea monster. In Ezekiel 32, Ezekiel deals with judgment on Egypt. In Ezekiel 32, in verse 2, the Bible says, You compared yourself to a young lion of the nations. You were like the monster in the seas, and you burst forth in your rivers. You muddied the waters with your feet. Egypt is compared to a sea monster. Same kind of picture is given of Leviathan, in Psalm 74, verses 12 through 16, that is specifically connected, too, with Egypt, where God divided the waters by his strength. I think that verse 30 is a statement that the enemies of God are strong and mighty from our perspective, and God is called to deal with them, to rebuke these beasts to rebuke these bulls, these that trample under feet. It is God who can scatter them. God is going to bring peace by ultimately devastating and conquering all who rise against him. But they will eventually bring gifts and tribute to him, as you see in verse 29. In verse 31, envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. People in the farthest away of places will submit to God and surrender to him and pay tribute to God. In verse 32, sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord, Salah, to him who rides on the highest heavens, which are from ancient times. Behold, he speaks forth with a voice, with his voice, a mighty voice. Remember, God is pictured as riding through the deserts or riding on clouds. Different translations have different things in verse 4. Same idea in verse 33. In verse 34, ascribe strength to God. His majesty is over Israel. His strength is in the sky. O God, you are awesome for your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. God is our strength. His people have no strength. But him. Oh, more could be said. Much more could be said about Psalm 68. But remember a few points. It emphasizes God as a mighty warrior who conquers his foe. God as a caring father who cares for those forsaken and mistreated, the fatherless and the widow. And God is a holy and awesome God before whom all the earth trembles. But how does Jesus fulfill Psalm 
68. We try to emphasize in these psalms, Jesus' fulfillment of these psalms. Well, let's just begin at the beginning of Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, God was called to arise, to let the wicked perish as the melt wax as the uh, wax melts before fire or as smoke is driven away, let the wicked perish. But in contrast, the righteous will be glad. But that in verses 1 through 3 will be reenacted when Jesus returns the second time. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 5 through 10, he will bring judgment on the wicked and he will rescue those who are his people. God is viewed as the rider of the clouds in 68.4, in 68.33. The one like the Son of Man was riding on clouds to come to the Ancient of Days. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, a passage that Jesus fulfills. Jesus is the one like the Son of Man who comes to the Ancient of Days, the very fact that he's riding on the clouds, points to his divinity. For who rides on the clouds in the Old Testament except God? The Bible pictures Christ as caring for the weakest and the broken, and he encouraged his disciples to do so in Matthew 25, in verses 31 through 46. You notice in this psalm, the Bible talks about the Lord gives the word and the women proclaim the good tidings. The word that's used for good tidings in the Hebrew text from Psalm 68 verse 11 is used in Isaiah 40 verse 9 a couple of times, Isaiah 52 verse 7 a couple of times, Nahum 1 verse 15. All of those contexts are interesting. The word that is used in the Greek translation, the Septuagint for good tidings, is the word used for the good news of the gospel and the ultimate message of good news was the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the ultimate good news. And women were the first ones to announce it, interestingly, in Luke 24, in verses 1 through 12. God is pictured as daily bearing our burdens. Verse 19 is difficult to translate. He's daily bearing our burdens. Some think that the idea is God is simply loading us with good things instead of carrying our bad things. But but whichever way, notice that God's tying, bearing our burdens or loading us with good things is tied to his salvation, to his deliverance, to his escapes in verse 19 and 20. Christ bears the burden of our sin, and Christ provides the ultimate escape from death. Death is a way in which there are many entrances, and there's no exit except Jesus. Notice that God is pictured in verse 21 as shattering the head of the enemy. The Bible prophesied as early as Genesis 3 in verse 15. 
that the serpent would strike man on the heel, but the man, he will bruise you on the head. He will shatter the head of Satan. That is the ultimate foe. And when the Bible talks about this word shatter, when this word shatter was used in the Greek translation, the Septuagint of the Old Testament, it's only used twice in the New Testament. In Matthew 21, 44, in Luke 20, in verse 18, and it tells us that he who rejects that choice cornerstone, he who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 68, verse 29, that kings will bring gifts to you. In Matthew 22, verse 11, this same Greek word for gifts that's used in the Septuagint is used to talk about the gift of the wise men of gold and frankincense and myrrh. In verse 61, or excuse me, 68, verse 31, verse 31, Ethiopia is pictured as stretching out her hand to God. And in Acts 8, verses 26 through 40, we see one from Ethiopia who had come to Jerusalem's temple to worship. And he stretched out his hands to God, asking his mercy, his forgiveness, and his determination to follow Jesus. There's an extensive quote of Psalm 68 in the New Testament. Verse 18 says, You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives, and you have received gifts from among men. Ephesians 4 verse 8 quotes this. Therefore it says, Ephesians introduces this Old Testament passage that way. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. It goes on to tie this to Christ coming to the earth, to Christ ascending to heaven. In verses 9 and 10, now this expression, he who he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also him who ascended above the heavens so he might feel all things. And in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some as pastors and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, Ephesians 4 8 quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. But one thing that's interesting and very obvious is that while Psalm 68, verse 18, talks about the king receiving gifts from among men, Ephesians 4, verse 8, talks about God's giving gifts. And the gifts God gives are the people, in verse 11, who serve to build up His body. Much could be said about this passage, and some, many, some better things, perhaps, than I will say. But one thing I would suggest about Ephesians 4 and its use of Psalm 68 is just look at the context of Psalm 68. 
God is viewed in Psalm 68 as a victorious warrior who conquers all his foes, who shatters the head of his enemies. The God who makes the dogs lick their blood. God is a mighty warrior who will completely conquer his foes. And one of the things the use of Ephesians 4, 8 through 11, Ephesians 4's use of Psalm 68, I think, teaches us, is God's greatest triumph over his foes. His greatest victory over his enemies was in the life and the death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven. It was a complete triumph, a complete conquering of the wicked. We do appreciate you listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is a help and a blessing to you.